right. Good morning, church. It is so great to be here. I, I love Will was up this morning, and, and he said, y'all. And I got excited, and I thought, and that's somebody that's been around, I mean, further south than Virginia to have the y'all in that. And then as we were talking, I realized, he said, yeah, I remember you because I was a student. When you was a student at Central, I actually came in a number of times and ministered to that campus ministry and prophesied over him. Now, it had to have been 20 years ago. And so what a, what a small world that we live in. Um, but I knew I loved this church when I came here some months ago to a, I, I, it was a small group meeting or discipleship meeting, and there was a pizza that was the size of a small, like a wading pool for a child. I've never seen anything quite like it. It, it took multiple people to bring it in. And then when Will was talking about at Easter that you guys did chicken and waffles, I'm like, I am moving from Chantilly to come with the land of chicken and waffles at Victory Church. All right. But it is just, it's such a privilege to be here. We, we love you guys, and we are so proud of you. You know, again, I, I, my wife and I are actually looking at 41 years of marriage here in about a month. Um, Again, four, four kids, two kids, four grandchildren, and, and, you know, you speak, and particularly with grandchildren, you're so proud. Your grandchildren are perfect, like, like, the, like in the introduction. Children, someone wrote that grandchildren are the reward for not killing your children. <laughs> and so, young parents, hang on. Let me just tell you, because the great thing about the grandchildren, they're perfect. Let me just tell you. They are perfect, and even when they're not, you can hand them back to their parents. It's wonderful. But it is. But but we speak of this church, Victory Church, with such paternal love, and not that we take credit for anything that God is doing, but the favor of God on your pastor, his wife, the team God has assembled here. Don't miss this moment because it's truly a special moment in the life of this church. The same way that you see those young children, it's just like, I can't wait for them to get out of diapers. I can't wait for them to walk, talk, do whatever. And then you're sending them off to college. It's just like you would go back if you possibly could. So don't miss what God is doing in your midst. Amen? Turn in your Bible to the book of Luke, the fifth chapter, Luke chapter 5. And I want to relate passage of scripture which is perhaps familiar to many of you and it's one that we find repeated in all three of the synoptic gospels Matthew Mark and Luke so we find that it has enough significance that it finds repetition in the scripture but by way of setting up this passage let me step back and give you some context as we came into this year, God began to speak to me uniquely. And we believe that God still talks to us, and he does that through various means. He speaks words in our ears or maybe dreams or maybe pictures with that we call visions. And we don't call it that. The Bible calls it that. And we know that, that the, at, during that moment in Acts and this message, this, this morning, Will was 
was, was relating Acts 2, chapters 1 and 2 of Acts, the birth of the church, the, when, when, when the Holy Spirit descended, something powerfully happened in that moment. And we find that in fulfilling the words of the prophet Joel, that your sons and daughters would do what? That they would prophesy. And we really believe that God is still in the business of speaking to us, primarily through this Bible which is still the 99% of how God speaks to 99% of believers. Nod your head vigorously so you can, yes. But we believe that there are other means whereby which God does and can speak to us. And so God routinely speaks to me in some of these other means. And God gave me a vision. And I saw God, I saw Jesus with an urn. It was, it was, it was a large urn about this tall, about this big around. And I had the privilege of going to Israel in February and actually saw a number of these urns from antiquity. And they were used for the storage of oil and wine and grain and all kinds of different things in that time. But I saw him pick it up and he began to pour it out. But I watched him pause just for a moment. And it was very evident from what I was seeing that that vessel represented, and what was in that vessel represented a measure of himself that God was about to pour out, but I watched him hesitate and stop just for a moment. And that's when he took me to Luke, the fifth chapter. And let's look at this together for a moment. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 36. He told him this parable. No one takes a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. Now, I've got something going on with my pants in that they're shrinking. And they're shrinking at an exponential rate. And so I, I don't know if there's something wrong with the fabric or perhaps maybe something's wrong with our washing machine. I'm not quite sure what's happening, but... But we know this phenomenon that clothing does what? It shrinks. Those jeans, you know, you kind of struggle to get on. This is why we like wearing the same pair of jeans for about seven days. Is that about day five, they start feeling really good. Because fabric does what? It shrinks. And it shrinks at different rates depending on what? How old that fabric is. And so we can understand then if you were to take two pieces of fabric that are different ages, obviously when you try to put them together, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna pull apart. We understand that. Verse 37, and no one pours new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wine skins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wine skins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for he says, the old is better. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, come and speak to us today. Lord, not just in the realm of information, not just something that we cognitively process and we go, oh, but God, even as you wrote in Revelation, let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Holy Spirit, write on us. 
change us, transform us with the power of your word. We invite you into this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. You and I walk into the grocery store today, and maybe we're going in to buy a carton of milk or yogurt or maybe, you know, the, the all-important package of Oreos, whatever it might be, and we don't give any thought whatsoever to what they're packaged in, as long as they don't change the packaging. I mean, doesn't that drive you nuts? I mean, you learn to identify something based on what the package looks like. And then they repackage it. For instance, they put Oreos now into these little plastic cups. Oreos don't belong in plastic cups. It's wrong. It's unnatural, all right? God intended them to be in the package, in the neat rows. That's how God intended for it to happen. But we don't give food storage a whole lot of thought. Food storage or, or, or preservation or even transportation is just something we've all grown up with that we don't give any thought whatsoever now to right, refrigeration, et cetera, and so forth. But in the ancient world, it was an issue. Storing grain, storing dry things was not as much of an issue, but what do we do about liquids? Or more especially, how do we transport liquids? Now, in the ancient world, wine was very important in a number of different cultures. Now, I'm not making a case here in a contemporary setting for or against alcohol or wine or anything else. I am a, I'm relating something historical. And so whether it was in the Greek culture, whether it was in the Hebrew culture, wine was very much a part of how life was done. And so it became important to figure out how do we get wine from this place to this place? Now, having just been to Israel, I can tell you, my, and my wife, and she couldn't be here today, she had a family thing come up, she had to be out of state, but I can just tell you that we, we my wife rode a camel while we were there, and let me just tell you, they, they're not the smoothest animals in the whole world, I mean, we're not talking Tesla here, I mean, these things are kind of janky, and if you can imagine trying to tie on one of these urns, one of these pottery urns to a camel, it wouldn't take but about three and a half steps of that thing slamming against the side of that camel that not only would all the wine have sloshed out, but the container would have broken. So it begged the question, how are we going to transport this wine from one place to the next? And so they begin to think, well, what if we, what if we used a wine, what, what if we developed an animal's skin in such a way that it could contain liquids. And so this is what a wine skin is. It's literally the skin from usually a sheep or a goat that after a brief tanning process, they would sew it all up, save one opening. They would pour the wine in, and the wine skin would kind of begin to bloat out kind of like a water balloon. Imagine how odd that must have looked, legs sticking out here, you know. And so, and then they would sew it up, and they could transport the wine from one place to the next in that wine skin. Now, let me say this to you. The wine was never intended to stay in the wine skin for an extended period of time. It was intended to be there temporarily. It was intended just for transportation. Why? 
because, and I'll get to this in, in, in a moment in greater detail, but because if the wine stayed in that dead goat for a while, can you imagine the wine steward coming up to you? You know, you've got your pita and your hummus, you know, for your appetizers. And we have a lovely red wine here tonight. It has wonderful overtones of a dead goat. Now, somehow, I don't think the wine steward is selling a lot of dead goat wine that night. Because the longer that the wine stayed in the wine skin, it began to do what? Take on the flavor and the taste of that which was containing it. Could you let me have a little license here just for a moment? You and I are that wineskin. You and I are the wineskin for the new wine of the Holy Spirit. But God never intended for that wine just to stay here. He intended for it to do what? Come out of us. To be poured out of us. Why? One reason is that we are temporary storage vehicles. Hate to break it down for you quite that crassly, but we are. Because at some point, you're going to pass off of this earth, and if Jesus delays his coming, then there will be other containers for God. Somebody say amen to that so you'll understand what I'm saying. So, but God never intended just to stay contained on the inside of us. And listen to me. Before God ever does a new thing with the people, he always prepares a new wine skin every time the day of pentecost i mean here's one of the, the here's one of the three feasts if you wish the three festivals of israel folk have, folk have been coming for years but there was something different about the ones that we see recorded in acts 1 as tongues of fire began to fall imagine these guys what is this i don't see this anywhere in the law and the prophets what, what, what is happening here? I am speaking a language that I don't know, and I've not done Rosetta Stone. I don't understand. Somebody else is hearing me praise God in their language. What's happening here? God knew in this moment as he was pouring out his spirit on all flesh, as Joel had prophesied, that it was going to require a new wine skin. And as we'll get to later, a new covenant to contain that which he was pouring out. And that new wineskin is called the church. It's you and it's me. And before God ever does anything with the people, he comes and he prepares a new wineskin. And I believe the same way that Jesus had an encounter with a woman at the well. And she begins to try to have a theological conversation with Jesus. How many of you know it's probably not wise to discuss theology with God? But she's trying to have a worship theological discussion. And he says, lady, let me just tell you. So the time is coming where, the, 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 let me tell you, worshipers are not just going to worship in Jerusalem or on this mountain. But the Father is searching, seeking those who will worship in spirit and in truth. I really believe that in this moment where I saw Jesus pause for a moment, I believe God is examining us in this moment. I believe he's looking for persons and a people whereby which he can pour himself out and that which he wants to pour out upon us can be safely contained. So wineskins, let's talk about that for a moment. 
The first ideal quality of a wineskin is its flexibility. How many of you go to a restaurant and order the same thing every time? Come on. Now, my wife, my wife, and I'm sorry she wasn't here this morning, but she is this cute little healthy person that the, the crunchier it is and the more raw it is and the more dirt it has in it and the more the fiber content is and, and the less it's been touched by human hands, the happier she is. So if there's anything on the menu that involves dirt, organic, free range, she's all over it. I'm just like, just bring me a burger with some extra cheese, and I'm, I'm, I'll be good. I don't care how many hands have touched it or how happy the cow was, all right? Just, just bring me the burger, and I'm good. So my wife is very, she's very green that way. Let's just put it that way. And my wife will try new things in a restaurant. And there's just kind of funky thing that she's eating, and it's loaded down with curry and whatever. Ooh, this is so good. Try this. No. I just, because I know what I like. And so you might go to the same restaurant, and over and over and over again, we're ordering the same thing. The Cheesecake Factory. Anybody been to the Cheesecake Factory? The home of the 87-page menu. I set as a goal one year that I was going to eat my way through the entire menu during that calendar year. It's only one problem. My wife heard me say that publicly, and then my doctor got wind of it, and that was pretty much the end of that, all right? But, I mean, even cheesecake, you go, and you're, and you're there, and it's just like you just get tired after about 17 pages, and you'll order the same thing because we lose our flexibility, do we not? Leonard Ravenhill it could, uh, said years ago, he said, my concern is that we know so much or think we know so much about God and God's ways that we are in danger of missing the next move of God. Wow. That's quite a statement to have been made decades ago. The Pharisees. I mean, here are the guys reading their Bible every day. Here are the theologians, righteous by the law. And yet in John 5, Jesus is having an encounter with them. And he says, you study the scriptures. It says you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. Yet, boys, let me just tell you, these are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have the very life that the scriptures testify about. Here's Jesus standing in front of them. The fulfillment of those prophecies, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, and they miss him. And ladies and gentlemen, let me just tell you, it wasn't just one group of folk at one time in history that missed God because of their expectations, because of their lack of flexibility as to who he was, how he would show up, and what, how he would perform. But let me tell you, generations since that time, including this one, are still missing God because of their lack of flexibility. Surely God will do it this way. Surely God will show up. Surely this is what the, the construct of God in my imagination, surely this is what he will do. 
I got to tell you, I've been walking with God for a moment since I was a college freshman. You don't need to know how long that was. It's a long time. But I got to tell you that what I know about God today is very different than what I knew about God 40-some-odd years ago. Very, very different. It doesn't mean that God has changed, but it means that my ongoing revelation of who He is is always changing as God reveals Himself to us by His mercy and His grace. But flexibility. Do you know when that wineskin is at its maximum point of flexibility? Closest to the moment of death of the animal from which it was taken. That's the moment that that wineskin can expand the most. It's why Paul writes to the church in Galatia. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but what? Christ lives in me. And let me tell you guys, our greatest flexibility is always directed, connected, directly connected to our greatest morbidity. Identify an area of your life where seemingly God has stopped moving. God has stopped showing up. God has stopped flowing. Let me just tell you, it's probably an area where you've gotten inflexible in your thinking. You've gotten inflexible in your soul. It's a place that you need a fresh crucifixion so you can have a fresh resurrection. You know, we just celebrated Resurrection Sunday just a week ago. Wow, what a moment. And we all love the story of resurrection that God just said, okay, you can get up now. That's cool. And yet we all want resurrection life. We just don't want what precedes the need for resurrection, and that's death. And it's in that very place, many times, God is demanding something from you and I. What does Scripture say? If you hang on to your life, what does it say? You're done. It says, but if you will lose your life for my sake, you will what? You'll gain it. Flexibility. But in that flexibility, something else happens. is capacity. Is that when that wineskin is at its place of maximum flexibility, it's in that same moment that it can contain the most because of that flexibility. And God's pouring himself out. We read passages of Scripture like Ephesians 3, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What in the world does that mean? I mean, God's pretty big. Come on. Like eternal, always been there. And yet, the prayer here that Paul is writing, that you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, speaking about the church in Ephesians 1, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. What in the world does that mean? But it does beg a question. Is there any room in there for God. My wife has discovered Marie Kondo. Now, personally, I prefer Marie Calendar to Marie Kondo. But if you don't know who Marie is, you will. Because she's this little Japanese lady. She's got 
got kind of weird, weird religions, very Shinto-based, so she's like thanking the house and all that. Don't go there. That's weird, all right? But she's got this idea of decluttering, minim minimizing, getting rid of everything around you that doesn't bring you joy. All right, some adherence out there. And my wife has adopted some of this. It's frightening. I opened a drawer the other day, and all the clothes, they were standing up, and they were all folded like little – it scared me. I jumped back for a moment. I didn't, I, so I saluted. I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> and she's hauling things out, and you can pray for us because even approaching 41 years of marriage, we are at a crucible. Because the things that are being hauled out tend to be mine, not hers. Because they don't bring her joy anymore. And I pointed this out to her recently. And she looked at me. And she looked at the door like, you're not bringing me joy right now. And I began to realize I better let her in goodwill just have whatever they're doing right now. But is there any space? Is there any room? Historical moves and movements of God has stopped. When a group said, that's enough. We're full. This is what we understand about the scriptures. This is who we know God to be. Therefore, we're going we're gonna to nail it down with a creed, with a liturgy. We're done. Now, don't hear the wrong thing. I believe God can and does speak through historical means of creed and liturgy. But I think for you and for me, the question is, are we retaining the flexibility which will enlarge our capacity? And then integrity. And I don't mean integrity as a character trait. But what I mean is, is what's coming in the same as what's coming out? We pull our water out of, a, out of a well. We live in the mountains, and it's pretty good water that we have. It's, it's very hard water. And my wife would come down in the morning. She would cut the sink on, and she'd let the water run for a moment. I'm like, baby, what are you doing? I, 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 it, I have to let the water. Why? Because I can taste the pipes. You can taste the pipes. Now, you know, after four decades of marriage, you just say, yes, ma'am, and you just step out of the room. And so I'm, I'm helping some of you younger married folk here. Men, listen, I'm helping you. And so for other reasons, we had to put in one of these water thingy, Tesla power, I don't know what it is. I just wrote the check. And sure enough, the water changed. My wife was actually tasting this hard water, picking up the copper leaching the copper out of the pipes, she could actually taste it. Now, I'm just dull. I mean, again, I'm a burger guy. You know, more ketchup. I mean, but she could, she could taste it because she was more discerning than I. But here's a question. You see, that water, as pure as it was when it came out of the ground, something happened between that point and getting into her teacup that was picking up something that was completely changing the flavor 
of that which was being pulled out. Let me ask you, what does Jesus taste like being poured out of your life? Does he taste like a dead animal? Does he taste like a certain theological bent? What does God look like and taste like as he comes out of you? Well, that's just Jim. You know, that's him. That's fine. And I understand that we're all, we're all human vessels. We're jars of clay, as one of the writers of Scripture put. I got it. But the reality is, if it tastes a lot like Pastor Paul, tastes a lot like victory, tastes a lot like every nation, no, it should taste like Jesus. Jesus should be easy to find in everything that we do. And the goal should be that it pick up, that he picks up less and less of you and me and the sin nature and our own preferences and prejudices and whatever they might be. So that as Jesus is displayed and comes out of the church to the world, Jesus is easy to find. And he doesn't look like or taste like a person or a group of people, but he looks like himself. Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Not that Pastor Duke is good or not that Victory Church is good, but taste and see what? That the Lord is good. Integrity. So then, what is the remedy to all of this? Okay, Pastor Jim, you got me? The necessity for the morbidity, the flexibility, greater capacity, the integrity that what comes out, what goes in is what's coming out. But what do I do? I believe it begins by what I call a divine desperation. Do you realize you have to be empowered by God to even want God? Anybody ever feel guilty because you would prefer Netflix to the Bible? Come on. Because of everything else that you could do in that moment, rather than pray and have fellowship with God, you'll choose about any and everything else. I've been walking with God a long time. I'm still there. And so then I have to, then I have to get back out of the, the sloth of condemnation. But I, have, I finally have realized I cannot desire God at a deep enough level. God has to empower the desire. That's what I mean by divine desperation. It's that it begins many times, God, I love you, but I know I, I desire you as such a substandard basis. I don't follow after you nearly as hard as you sought after me. It begins right there. That's the remedy. A right kind of discontent with everything else. You realize anything that you receive either comfort or contentment from other than Jesus is very close to stepping in the capacity of becoming its own deity in your life. I love, oh, I love the big pizza. I love that donut. I love that entertainment. And whatever we are receiving comfort and succor from other than Christ himself, let me tell you, it's just about that far away from becoming its own God in our life. It's interesting. You can, make, you can make a deity out of a spouse, 
out of a child, out of good things. That's why God said right out of the box, thou shalt have no other gods. Because he realized the challenge you and I would have with it. This wasn't just to the Israelites living under the old covenant. He realized what was going to be in the nature of man. The Bible says those that hunger and thirst, it says that those are the ones that will be filled. I want us to do something to kind of put a period on this this morning. I want us to take communion together. Are we prepared to do that? Great. So if you guys will go ahead and pass those out. That would be tremendous. Last week, of course, we celebrated Resurrection Sunday. But leading up to that, there was a moment that Jesus was with his disciples celebrating the Passover meal. This Passover meal represented a remembrance. This is why it was set up. And they had done this meal with Jesus before. But you see, Jesus was setting up a new set of remembrances in that moment. See, the table communion is where the old and the new collide. It's not even where they merge. The old covenant, one of rules and regulations and hundreds of points of the law where you got to do this and you can only take so many steps and, and, and all of these things whereby which we had to be righteous. But then... He talks about a new covenant all of a sudden. And it's a covenant that didn't abolish the old. It completely fulfilled it in one act and in one instance on our behalf. Again, it's a collision between the old and the new. And this is, this is why in that parable in Luke 5, it says, and no one having tasted the old wants the new. Wow. Why is that? Because I want to earn it. Here's my checklist. I read my Bible. I didn't kick the dog. I didn't steal paper clips from the office. I didn't speed on the way to work. Check, 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 check. I'm feeling really good about me now. just tell you, is that moment that you feel good about you on the basis of how you've performed, that you're probably the farthest away from God. Because when you're the closest is when you realize that the gap between His righteousness, His holiness, His perfection, and the best of what we'll ever produce is a gap so wide, we can't even see the other side. This is what the table represents. These knuckleheads are there with Jesus. Said, all right, been there, done that. Okay, let's get through this. So they've gone through the Seder. They've gone through this meal. And then Jesus begins to flip the script on them a bit. 
He says that he took the bread. And it says that after giving thanks, he broke the bread, passing the pieces to the disciples. Then he says this. This is my body broken for you. Now imagine Peter, John, what did he say? Did, did he say his body? I thought this was I thought this was just the power. What? What? Did I hear that right? That's what he said. What does that mean? I don't know what it means. Put yourself there for a moment. I mean, we say these words once a month in our churches, but we don't think about what must it have, what impact must it have had in that moment. And these guys had no real idea. He says, whenever you eat this bread from now on, I want you to eat this bread in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take your wafer. Guys are still reeling from this one. That's, that's just strange. And Jesus takes the chalice of wine and he holds it up, looks at it for a moment. Because Jesus realizes what's about to happen in a few days. And he says, This is the cup of the new covenant. Pause. What's a new covenant? I thought there was just. The covenant that God made with Abraham. I thought there was just the mosaic. I thought there was just a covenant. What's he talking about? New. That must mean there's another one. This is the cup of the new covenant. What does it mean? I don't know. This is my blood shed for you for the remission of sins. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now, that just really is over the top. The bread was one thing. But is he saying now that what's in that cup is blood? He expects us to drink his blood? Imagine the offense in that statement. The offense. That's just, uh-uh. And for the remission of sins? Who can forgive sins except God himself? Jesus was unpacking a lot of theology here. Because the only way sins were ever forgiven was through the shedding of blood. Jesus has now put himself in that very spot. The cup of the new covenant, my blood shed for you for the remission of sins. Now, guys, whenever you drink this, you drink it in remembrance. 